In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, welcome, welcome this morning. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're starting that season of Lent, actually kicked it off on Ash Wednesday evening, um, 40 days until we celebrate Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so today we are going to kind of walk through um, what did it look like for our God to be on trial? Um, the theme is the weight of God, right? Um, but if we are, are kind of making this Lenten walk, right, towards Easter, I think it's an appropriate time for us to kind of weigh those things, right? Um, what were the things that Jesus found impactful, um, weighty, important as he journeyed, as he walked patiently and willingly to that cross on our behalf? Um, and so today, that's what we're going to start. Uh, we're going to look specifically at that concept of Jesus Restraint. Our sermon text I'm going to read for you this morning. Uh, it actually comes from Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 47 through 53. And uh, this, is, this is one of the, um, what we call them, synoptic gospels, one of the accompanying texts to Jesus being taken uh, um, and arrested. So we read from Luke chapter 22. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man, who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear, and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is the gospel of our Lord. Um, we are watching Jesus' use of power, and specifically we want to talk about that concept of restraint. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what maybe comes to your mind when you think of holding something back, but um, for me, at least, maybe the picture of a dam holding something back, right? Incredible amounts of power water has, and a dam is able to hold that back, and in some sense, even harness it. Uh, but do any of you know what one of these is called? Some, I know we have some engineers, so... I'll, I'll, it, it, is, it is dam adjacent. Okay, thinking I'm gonna go one more picture. How about this? Okay, I know, I know. Okay, so the technical term for what you're looking at here is called a, a coffer dam. Okay, so uh, the first picture we looked at was just a traditional dam that's holding water back, somewhat harnessing it. Uh, the one before was, was kind of keeping a river from, uh, from washing away where they wanted to work. Uh, this one specifically is keeping water out of a location that they want to put in new concrete pylons, right? So the technical word that, for that is a coffer dam. And they're kind of neat. Now, you can't maybe see from where you're sitting, um, but if you get a closer look at that, um, water all the way around, right? And at the very bottom, there are guys working with forklifts and, uh, and, and diggers and all kinds of stuff. 
digging down so that they can put concrete and a foundation in place. I think that becomes a pretty good picture when we talk about Jesus' restraint in the Garden of Gethsemane and his path towards the cross on our behalf. Christ ultimately had power to do whatever he chose to do, and yet he chose to restrain. He chose to use that power in a way that ultimately saves you and I. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at Jesus' restraint, and we're going to look at the other side of that coin, oftentimes is vengeance. I've got three points we're going to look at this morning. Uh, oops, back one. Uh, power, vengeance, and restraint. Um, and that's kind of how we'll walk through that text. So the very first one we want to look at is just that concept of power. Uh, maybe some of you have heard this quote before from Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Right? I think that's very much true. And the question we get to ask of ourselves and as we, as we uh, weigh our Savior as he walked towards the crosses, how did Jesus use his power? Let's jump into our text. Read verse 47 and 48. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, to him, uh, came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? So now understand the scenario a little bit of what is happening here, right? So this is Monday, Thursday evening. Uh, Jesus had already had uh, um, the Passover meal with his disciples, and now they had gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane to the Mount of Olives, and this was when he was going to be arrested. If you back up, you remember Jesus predicted this, right? As he's eating with his disciples, he said to them, one of you will betray me. In our text today, we see exactly who that was. It was Judas. Jesus points out, are you betraying me with an act of love? It's a little bit of a juxtaposition, isn't it? Right? Um, we have a crowd, we have a mob, we have authorities that are coming in the cover of night for a reason. Right? This was a, a, these were trumped up charges, these were fake, this was a fake trial, it was being done illegally, and so if you are doing those kind of things, when do you do it? in the cover of night, right? This is when they came to arrest Jesus. And the irony of it um, and the juxtaposition of it is they came with, or at least ready for, violence. And Judas betrays Jesus with a simple kiss, right? A greeting, an act of love for someone that he had, he had uh, um, walked with, talked with, ate with for his entire ministry. So Jesus points it out to Judas, right? Are you betraying me with an act of love? Ultimately, Judas was, right? Jesus, I think on some level, points out how he was being betrayed to give us a little, maybe clearer view of exactly what he could do in that moment. And our text today maybe doesn't give us the full story. Actually, John chapter 18 gives us a little greater insight into exactly what was happening there that night and what Jesus had at his disposal. John 18 says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, happened to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? 
Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Okay. We talk about how we use our power. Well, in this moment, that's exactly what Jesus was considering. Um, As that crowd came to him, as the authorities came to him, he had all power at his disposal. Um, Let's not think to ourselves that Jesus was helpless in that moment. In fact, the opposite was true. He could have lashed out. He could have called angels down. Um, In fact, John's account even shows us Jesus' power from just the very words that he spoke. And so if if, if somebody was, was tricked into thinking Jesus was powerless in this moment, Jesus assures us that he was not. So how he chose to use his power in that moment, I think was instrumental and was important. because ultimately led to our forgiveness. Christ could have acted, instead he restrained and he held back. Okay, our first point. But... Should he have acted? Maybe that's the question that comes up in our mind, right? Um, Could he have acted? Yes. But I think the next logical question at times for us is, should he have? Or maybe to put it more directly, um, did he have every right to act? And I think we could probably say yes, right? And there have probably been times in your life when you felt the very same, right? Um, This is not a picture of any of you on your way to work, on a Monday morning, on I-25, okay? But the truth is, it could be, right? I think we understand, I think we know what it feels like to want vengeance. I think we know the, the white hot flash that goes over us that maybe rises above our, uh, from our neck straight through our head when our anger just in an instant is right at our fingertips, I think every single one of us has felt the desire to lash out, the desire for vengeance. I'll probably go a step further to say, in almost every instance, I think usually we consider ourselves justified in doing that. Let's look at how Jesus reacts. Go to our next verse here. Verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen... They said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Okay? Our text doesn't exactly tell us who it is, but Peter's not going to get off so lucky. Uh, John actually tells us exactly who it was, right? Um, and, And maybe there's lesson in that for us as well. Our vengeance, our anger, our retribution, the acts we do, the power we use against other people... That is not nameless and that is not faceless and there are victims of it. Same is true in our text here today. John tells us exactly who did this and to whom. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Not nameless, not faceless, right? Now, Peter maybe felt he had every right to react in the way he did. Um, And if you know anything about Peter, you know that Peter is one that is um, quite 
commonly is the first one to step up of his disciples, right? Sometimes Peter is called the the spokesman of the disciples. And and so, you know, Peter in his life and in the ministry we're shared with him is is kind of hot or cold. And in fact, um, in in not very long in the future, Peter's going to show that again, right? When Jesus says, all of you will fall away, Peter says, not I, Lord, never. And yet he does that very same thing, right? So Peter is hot and cold, and Peter is the one that draws his sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. Doesn't wait for a response from Jesus, doesn't take Jesus' cue in any sense, but he takes vengeance upon himself on behalf of his Savior. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I, I think when we do that, because I think we've been Peter, <laughs> and maybe it's not with a physical sword, but we've used words, we've used our power in ways that cut and that harm and chop people down. I think we've felt what Peter feels. And in almost every instance, we always feel we are justified, don't we? Here's the interesting thing about us, I think, as individuals. Um, Our vengeance, our retribution, right, is almost always justified. When I react in anger or vengeance, it's always because... Well, that person had it coming, right? Or this is just how the world works. In fact, if I don't push back, it'll be seen as weakness. In almost every instance, when we lash out, we always instantly put ourselves in the right. But the truth is, are we always? We're not. We're simply not. There may be instances where we 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 are in the right and we are reacting in a just way. But for every one of those, are there five where we are in the wrong? (laughs) Where someone could be justified in lashing out against us? I think that's true. Peter took it upon himself to lash out, to enact vengeance. He thought he was justified on Jesus' behalf. And maybe we even would as well, right? This is an unfair trial. They're taking him away. Um, These are trumped up charges. They're not real. They're going to produce lying witnesses about Jesus. And maybe if you and I were standing there with our Lord and Savior, we might say in our own heads, yep, I'm going to act. I'm going to step up. I'm going to try to defend my Lord and Savior in this moment. But here's the amazing thing. You want to know who doesn't need defending? your Lord and Savior, right? He's got more power than any one of us, and he always acts in a just, right, perfect way. Our Lord and Savior Christ is both perfectly loving and perfectly just. And so in this moment, when we see Peter try to take it upon himself to defend his Savior, Jesus says, no more. No more of this. This is his path, his walk, and ultimately results in our salvation. So, did Jesus have power? Absolutely. Where is the place for vengeance? We leave that in our Lord and Savior's hands and our God above. Which leads us to our next, our final point. Uh, This is the USS North Carolina. It's actually docked in Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, it's kind of interesting. I mentioned those cofferdams at the beginning of our service. 
and those quite often are used to be able to dry out an area so you can work on it, maybe to put in uh, bridge piers and things like that. But occasionally, cofferdams are used to actually fix things. Um, in this case, it's to fix ships that it is impossible for you to get them into a dock or into a dry area to actually repair the hull. That's exactly what was done with the USS North Carolina. You can kind of see the bottom here. What they did was they brought it in the water, then they built a coffer dam around it, and then they pumped out all of the water so that they could get low enough to be able to fix the hull. I think maybe that becomes a good illustration for us as well. And exactly what Jesus' life and his ministry and the last week of his life did for you and I. His restraint ultimately leads to our healing, to, to fixing broken lives and sinful people. Jesus' restraint, Jesus' willingness to not lash out and to use his power for our good ultimately is what heals. Which is what our text tells us in this last verse. It says, but Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. There it is, isn't it? Was Jesus powerful enough to defend himself in the last days and hours of his life? Absolutely. He heals this man's ear, right? Does Jesus need us to fight his battles or to enact vengeance on his behalf? The answer is he doesn't. In fact, he tells Peter that pretty directly. No more of this. Put your swords away, right? I can defend myself. Right? Ultimately, Christ then uses his power to heal. In a way that maybe our world would look down on. In a way that maybe our world would say looks absolutely like weakness. And in fact, um, in a way that our world would have said this is a tragedy, this is a defeat. And yet, at the cross, as Jesus' power was on full display, he gave his life there for you so that our sins would be washed clean. How we use that power matters. And Christ used his power on your behalf. As he gave up his spirit, as he felt abandonment by God above, he has washed us clean. You are healed, you are forgiven through Jesus' power, but also through his Restraint. What does that mean for us in our Christian living? I think it means that we can do the same. I think it means that we can live in much the same way. I'm probably not going out on a limb here to say that um, in almost every area of your life, in almost every um, venue of your life, there are subtle or not so subtle power plays that are happening. Now, uh, your scenario may not look like the Garden of Gethsemane and a crowd coming for an illegal arrest and Peter taking out a sword and cutting off someone's ear, but I would guess that those power plays, those moments where you can seek vengeance and use your power are all around you. Whether it's in the workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood, or with your own family. I think every single day we have the opportunity um, and moments where in a sense, we're in positions of power and we get to choose how will we use that. We choose to use it to hurt, to demean, to gossip, to cut down, to destroy. Or will we choose to use the power that we have this side of heaven to love, 
to forgive, to mend, to build up, and to ultimately forgive. You want to know what your Savior, cho- your Savior Jesus chose? All of those. He had the full spectrum at his disposal, and yet he chose to love, to forgive, to submit to death on the cross for you and I. And that's the same privilege we have as believers as well. As we go into our relationships, whether we are in positions of power or weakness, we get to make that choice on a daily basis. How will we use that for those around us? I think in our world and in the culture in which we live, I think it's a distinct opportunity to kind of cut through the noise. In fact, I'd venture to say that um, not being more powerful or more direct, but rather how we use that power and our choice to restrain can cut through the noise of the world around us. Now, I'll admit there are probably times where that will be seen as weakness, right? And I would guess even as you're thinking through the scenarios in your lives, whether that's at school, that's at work, that's with your own family, or that's in your communities, I would guess when you think through every one of those scenarios, you think, how am I going to use my power? There will be moments where you will say to yourself, if I restrain, if I act in this way, if I use my power to heal, to help, and to mend, it'll be seen as weakness, right? And I think our temptation is then to protect ourselves, protect our hearts, protect our, our, our own right, lives. Maybe that's where we let Jesus guide us and be our example. Instead of pulling away, instead of isolating himself, he gave himself on the cross for us. We get the opportunity to do the same. And there will maybe be times where your restraint, the choices you make are seen as weakness. But if it is, you're in good company. Because even Jesus, your Lord and Savior, at times was seen as weak and yet was more powerful than we could have imagined, right? The cross is a stumbling block, right? It looks like defeat. Satan looks as though he gets the last laugh until resurrection three days later in new life. That's the privilege we have as believers. Our restraint ultimately points to Christ's restraint, the power he used on our behalf and the forgiveness of sins that we have. I'm convinced When we weigh it, that's an aspect that cuts through the things of this world, the cultures in which we live. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Ultimately, when Jesus chastises Peter, (laughs) salvation was not going to come from Peter cutting off a servant's ear. (laughs) Right? as if they had a chance that night in the Garden of Gethsemane anyway, right? But Jesus said to Peter, no more of this, right? I have plenty of power, but I'm going to restrain that power. I'm going to use it for the good of all people and all mankind as I give my life on the cross, not only for you, Peter, the disciples around him, but for you and I. Let that be our guiding light, our example, as we live our lives to God's glory, as we use what power we have, as at times we even restrain, as we love, as we forgive, as we heal, 
and ultimately as we mend. Amen.